Hey, good morning, church. Good to be with you today. You can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, and you know what's happening today, right? We're finishing the book of Hebrews, so it's an exciting day. Anytime we finish a book of the Bible here, there's this sense of accomplishment uh, because it means that as a church, we're making our way through the Bible together. And so I want to start out this morning by uh, reminding you of the books that we've studied here on Sunday mornings uh, since we started this church just a little over three years ago. And so our first year here, we studied the Gospel of Mark. That took us just about one year. And then after that, we went into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Then we went on to 1st and 2nd Peter, then Nehemiah, then 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and James, and Philippians, and now the book of Hebrews. Pretty exciting, huh? And uh, what I love about that is that if you join us here on Sunday mornings, um, it means that we're going through the Word of God together. You know, those books I just listed, that doesn't even include the books that have been gone through in our youth ministries, in our young adults ministry, in the men's and the women's. By the way, the women, they just power through the Word of God. It's insane. Um, They've studied so many books of the Bible. And uh, by the way, wanted to also let you know that as a church, um, our, our, wow, I just got really loud right there. Um, as a church, our, our children's ministry started a curriculum when, um, when the church started where we take our kids through the Bible in three years. And uh, that means that they're coming to the end of the Bible. They've been following all the major stories of Scripture, and they've been finding um, all the ways that it points to Jesus. And so um, from, the, from the littlest of us to the oldest of us, we've been going through the Word of God together. And when we, grow, when we go in the Word of God, we, we also grow in faith. And so it's just really exciting to um, have that happening here. Um, I also resonate with the Apostle John, who in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4 said that I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And, and so from my kids who are growing in the Word of God to Um, many seasoned saints here who are continuing to walk in the truth. It's really exciting. So that being said, let's dive into the last section of Hebrews as we wrap up another book of the Bible. And uh, I apologize for this, but I have to ask our media team to turn turn me down a little bit. I don't want to hold back on our last book, you know? I don't want to be like whispering. It just feels, does it feel loud? It still feels loud. Can we turn it down? Okay, working on it. It'll get turned down. We're good. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, hopefully you have your Bibles open. We're going to be covering verses 17 uh, through 25 today. So here's what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything 
good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Every last bit of it, from Genesis to Revelation, And we thank you for the book of Hebrews as we've been studying this book now uh, for over six months, Lord, and we now come to the end of it, Lord, but Lord, we know that there's much for us to still continue on in, Lord, that we would walk by faith, that we continue to, as we learned in Hebrews 12, run this race with endurance. There's a prize that is set before us, Jesus, and we want to keep going. So Lord, help us by your word to also do your will. Teach us today the things that you want to teach us, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, well, last Sunday, I started off the sermon talking about leadership in the church and how it is important that we would have spiritual leaders in our lives, especially that we would have leaders who can speak the word of God to us. Let me read the verse that we started off with last week. It's Hebrews 13, 7. It says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate, <clears throat> imitate their faith. And so the writer is now going to bring up leadership again here in verse 17. I guess he just finds it important enough to uh, speak about more than once in his closing remarks. And so look with me at verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders... And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, not only are we supposed to remember and imitate our leaders, as we saw in verse 7, but we're also to obey and submit to our leaders, as we see here in verse 17. Now, If you bristle at the idea of remembering and imitating your leaders, you're going to have a pretty hard time with obeying and submitting to your leaders. You know, one of the challenges that we often face in what can be a prideful, self-focused culture is that we want to answer to no one but ourselves, Similar to the time of the judges, if you go read the book of Judges, there's this phrase that comes up repeatedly in the way that people lived. It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if you go read the book of Judges, you'll see how dark those days were. You know, that's not really a good mantra to live by, to do whatever seems right in your own eyes. And so you see, the Bible, it it promotes leadership, especially spiritual leadership, as a key aspect of both order and joy in the kingdom of God. So what God does is he raises up for himself leaders in the church who are to be obeyed and submitted to. And 
those leaders, as even we've been learning on Wednesday nights here, going through the book of Titus, those leaders are to be people of good character and good conduct. They're to be people who are able to teach sound doctrine from the Bible. And yet, even with that, we still have a hard time with those words, obedience and submission. Perhaps it's because, well, we, we, we have stubborn hearts. Or perhaps it's because we've had bad leaders. And so obeying and submitting to your leaders, I think about it as it, it really shouldn't be a problem if both the leaders and the followers are living by the word of God. If both are obeying and submitting to Jesus together, it shouldn't be an issue. And besides, Jesus taught that his leaders would be, as he calls them, servant leaders. Those who would love and care for people in the way that Jesus loved and cared for people. You know, Jesus taught his 12 disciples to lead the people of God in the way that he has led the people of God. And the way that Jesus leads us is similar to how a shepherd leads sheep. We know that, right? That even the apostle Peter, who at the end of Jesus' ministry, after he'd been resurrected, he comes to Peter to restore him. And what did he tell Peter? He said, feed my sheep. Peter picked up on that idea and even wrote about it in his epistle, 1 Peter. I want to read a portion from chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, where Peter talks about how leaders are to be shepherds. This is what it says. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." Now, this scripture that I just read to you from 1 Peter chapter 5, as I read it, it's really specifically exhorting four people in this room. Rob Orr, Ben Kim, Steve Heffernan, and myself. So let me talk to those four guys. No, you guys can listen in, right? Um, but we, as the elders of this church, there's four elders that serve this church body. I'll mention them again. Rob Orr, Ben Kim, Steve Heffernan, and myself. And we've been called by God to shepherd the flock of God that is among us, and that's you. We're to exercise oversight, which is to watch over the church with love and care and attention. We're not to do this under compulsion. You know, no one needs to pull our arm to do this. We do this willingly as God would have us, meaning that God has called us and equipped us for this work. We most certainly are not in this for shameful gain, but we are eagerly wanting for you to be both blessed and benefited by our leadership. 
Uh, we're not here to domineer over those that God has put in our charge. We're not seeking to be heavy-handed at all. But instead, we're to be examples to the flock, that we can be followed and we can be imitated. And we do this all the while knowing that we are under shepherds, that we are actually sheep too, and that Jesus is the chief shepherd, and that when he appears, we will receive the unfading crown of glory, which sounds pretty great, Rob. Looking forward to that one. But thanks to Peter, right, who was a great leader in the church, we have our instruction. But here in Hebrews 13, 17, as you are the flock of God that is among us, you have your instruction, which is to obey and submit to them. Now, Jesus, of course, is the chief shepherd, right? He's the one in charge here. He's the one that we all ultimately submit ourselves to. But as was said, Jesus raises up leaders for himself within local churches to tend to his flock. It's, it's his flock. They're his pe- you're his people. You're not my people. You're Jesus' people. God has raised me up to tend to the flock by feeding you. And how do I feed you? I feed you the word of God. Now, your obedience and submission to a human leader, let me say this, it's very important uh, part here, is that your obedience and submission to any human leader is always going to be subservient to your obedience and submission to Jesus Christ. You know, we all submit out of reverence to Christ. And so, you know, there's to be submission in all of our relationships. If you read the scriptures, for instance, the the book of Philippians talks about this. The book of uh, Ephesians talks about this. Many of the epistles speak about how there's to be submission in all of our relationships, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between employers and employees. And so the Bible addresses how there's to be submission in all human relationships, even in the fact that we look at God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's even submission there. God is a God of submission. And so we come to our Bibles thinking about this, but let me say it again. If any pastor or really any kind of leader tells you to obey or to submit to them in something that is contrary to God's word and that by following them you would violate your obedience or your submission to God, don't follow them. It's better to obey God rather than man. But good leaders will not lord over you. Good leaders will serve you. Good leaders will point you to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So if a leader is drawing you to themselves instead of leading you to Jesus, don't follow them. However, if your leader is leading you closer to God by telling you what God has spoken in his word, then there ought to be obedience and submission there in that relationship because besides, every last one of us is called to obey and submit to God. And so, you know, that's why we find in this church that it's very important that we don't preach opinions here. I, I love teaching God's word, but I'm not seeking to be some celebrity here. Please don't elevate me to a place that I don't belong The point is, is that we want to preach God's word. 
so that you could be thoroughly equipped for every good work so that you could do God's will and you can be led closer to Jesus. So if this church continues to point people to Jesus, then this church is to be a place where there's submission and obedience from all of us. Now, why would we do this? Why would you obey and submit to your leaders? Well, the writer provides us with four reasons for why we should. Number one, leaders are keeping watch over your souls. Number two, leaders will have to give an account. Number three, leaders want to have joy and not groaning. And number four, if you don't, it will be of no advantage to you. So let's briefly look at each one of those as we move on. So number one, leaders are keeping watch over your souls. And that language comes directly from this shepherd and shepherding relationship, right? Where, where the title pastor is literally from the word shepherd. I, I prefer Pastor Daniel over Shepherd Daniel. Um, or you can just call me Daniel. It's fine. But as your pastor, I, I've been charged, along with my fellow pastors, Rob, Ben, and Steve, to watch over your souls. We are in the work of caring for souls. And we're seeing to it that first our own souls are safe and secure and healthy and strong. But then we see to it that your souls are safe and well and healthy and strong. And, and that word, therefore, keeping watch, it actually has the idea of staying awake. It can actually be translated losing sleep. And that's sometimes what we face as pastors, is that sometimes we lose sleep over the constant concern that we have for this church. We care deeply about souls, and that should be reason for why you can willingly obey and submit. I think Rob sometimes talks about when he gets waken up in the middle of the night by the Lord, he calls it uh, midnight seminary, is that what you call it? Something like that. It's good. Second reason is leaders will have to give an account. So if leaders are those who teach God's word, the book of James warns us that not many should be teachers because teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. And I know that I will be held accountable to God for how I represented God to you. And that's why I seek to always carefully handle God's word, because if I'm not carefully handling God's word, I may misrepresent God, and to misrepresent God, I can't think of anything worse. And so I will have to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ for the way that I have kept watch over your souls. What was my character? What was my conduct? What was my teaching? Did I follow Jesus in such a way that if people imitated me, they would be imitating Christ? Because I must give an account for how I have led you, and so it's helpful that you would obey and submit. And then number three, leaders want to have joy and not groan. (laughs) I love what I get to do as a pastor. I I really love this church, and I love having the great honor and privilege every week to stand before you and to preach you God's word. 
And I haven't really had to run into many situations where obedience and submission has become an issue. And so I, I really do have a lot of joy. I, I don't groan all too often being the pastor of this church. There are times, though, <laughs> when our pastors will groan. Perhaps because there's someone in the church body who's stirring up division and discord. There's times when we will groan because someone will not heed the biblical counsel that we will give to them. We groan because people choose sin over Jesus. We groan because people are not being faithful in their marriages. We groan because people go wayward and, and, and it breaks our hearts. We groan. But there's so much joy in this church because there really is obedience and submission all around us because there's this fear of Christ that we have where we know that we've been called to obey and submit. And so before, by the way, before anyone goes on thinking that, you know, the pastors and the leaders are free from obedience and submission, actually, if anything, we are called to more of it than anyone. And so joy comes when we all, the leaders and the whole church body, comes together to Jesus, to obey and to submit to him. And, and no one wants to be in a groaning church, do you? You want to be in a joy-filled church, don't you? I hope that the things I'm telling you right now, you're not sitting there in your seat being like, <clears throat> right? Because there's a way that you can groan because you don't want to heed the Bible. But when we heed the Bible, which includes learning what it means to obey and submit to Jesus and to obey and submit to one another, there's so much joy to be had. And when the body is working together properly as it should with Jesus being the head, it's like, yes, I'm in a church where there's joy. So don't mess it up. Okay, you've heard me say, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. <laughs> we are an imperfect church. I am an imperfect leader. We all need Jesus, the perfect one. And we need his love, and we need his peace. We need him to unite us in all things. So, Number four, if you will not obey and submit to church leadership, it's of no advantage to you. And I don't exactly know what the writer has in mind there, but it doesn't sound that good. And look, if there is someone in the church that is being disobedient and proud, it is the responsibility of the church leadership to deal with that disobedient and proud person according to scripture, and that's not a fun process to go through. And that's why we like to say as elders that as pastors, we need two voices. We need one voice that will gather in the sheep, and we need another voice that will drive off the wolves. So if you're sheep, be gathered in. If you're a wolf, get out. 
And with all that said, it's my responsibility every week to share these truths from God's word with you. And so I'm glad that you've received them, not as my words, as Thessalonians says, but as God's living and active word. And if you know the book of Acts, you know that you can be a Berean. And you can take your Bible, as I always tell you, bring your Bible to church and follow along with what I'm teaching you. You can see if what I have just said to you is true. And if it's true, then there's joy to be had in this church and also by the church leaders. Uh, If it's not, we could have a conversation. Um, But moving on from that, which by the way, it always feels a little bit awkward teaching those portions of the Bible where... Um, maybe it would be better if someone who's not one of the leaders in the church would teach the section about leadership, but I hope that even in me teaching it, you would hear the love and the care that I have for you and that the other elders have for you, and that you would also hear that we take this role of being elders very seriously. And so, We can move on now. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. It says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. And so this is another reminder given that you would pray for your leaders and to pray for the church I asked you last Sunday to pray for me, and it was so sweet after service and all through the week, people coming up to me and saying, I pray for you. And I love that because when I asked you to pray for me, I wasn't just asking you to pray once last week, I was asking you to pray for me, as the word in the Greek is in the present active imperative, which means always be praying. Pray without ceasing. I hope that you would pray always for this church and for the leaders of this church and, and for yourselves. And as I said last week, we all need it, don't we? Don't we need prayer? By the way, right now, I just, this just dawned on me, right now in another room over here off to the side of us, there's a few people, Dolores is in there, I know she's in there, there's some others in there who are literally right now praying over this service. And we do that once a month, it's called the engine room. And they're actually literally praying for me as I'm preaching God's word to you. And when this idea came from, uh, we, we totally took it out of the playbook of Charles Spurgeon. They used to actually have like, un, we might need to build a little area. They had under the basement of the church, they called it the, the engine room or the boiler room. Where as Spurgeon was preaching, there were people praying for the salvation of souls. And what's so cool is since we started the engine room, Every single Sunday that we've had the engine room that I've given an invitation for people to receive Jesus, guess what? People have received Jesus. Do you understand the power of prayer? I just let you in on a big secret we have. (laughs) We pray for you. All right. So knowing that you are prayed for, please pray for me. I'm unashamed to ask for prayer. It's also good to know that as you pray for your leaders, it helps them to be effective because we all want that, right? We all want that clear conscience that the writer's talking about where we're all submitted to Jesus. We desire to act honorably in all things. We don't want to mess it up. 
We want to get it right. And so the prayer that is being asked in verse 19 is a prayer for restoration. It's a prayer for relational connection. And the writer seems to be asking that he can be restored to them physically. He hasn't seen these people that he's written to in a long time, and he wants to see them again. Now, now look, it's one thing to get reconnected physically with people. But often in the church, there needs to be prayer so that people can get reconnected emotionally and spiritually. There's so much in this world. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil trying to disconnect our souls from God and from one another. And so we need prayer where there can be restoration in relationships, that in our marriages, that in our parenting, in our workplaces, in our friendships, in the people that we serve with at church, relationships get disconnected. They get disconnected physically where you don't see someone for a long time and it's always good to check back in and see somebody. They get disconnected emotionally. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody gets sad. And we need to come and we need to connect with one another and we get disconnected spiritually, which is probably the worst of it all. And and, and if I could take it back, I think if we want to be connected physically and we want to be reconnected emotionally, we need to be a people that are always being reconnected spiritually. That we would first be connected to the Lord, to him first, first on on the vertical, and then we would be reconnected to one another on the horizontal. So if you know that there's a disconnect in any of your relationships, again, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your workplaces, in your friendships, in the people you serve with the church, there's relationships all around us. If there's any place in your life that has gotten disconnected by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, would it get reconnected? See, If there's any relationship that needs to be restored, pray it happens sooner rather than later. Verse 19, the writer said, I urge you, I urge you, the more earnestly, does that sound urgent and earnest? (laughs) I urge you, the more earnestly to do this, meaning you got to do something about it. I urge you, the more earnestly do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, don't wait to get reconnected to the people that you love. Now, He will sign off this letter in hopes that he's going to see them soon. And he's going to give a benediction and a greeting. A a benediction is a word of blessing that is spoken over people. It's a prayer that, that really I've been praying over you this week. And I want you to receive this as a dedication of love to the Lord. This is what he said. Let's read the benediction in verse 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, 
by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And so that's my prayer over us this morning. We started the book of Hebrews on June 11th last year. Just over half of a year we've been going through this book, and Pastor Rob and Ryan Reeves and myself have sought to point you to Jesus, the Son of God, by taking us through this book, and we've discovered that Jesus is better than anyone or anything else that we know. We have preached Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead, and we've tried not to do that with human wisdom, but by a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. We've, we've been dependent upon God's Spirit and grace that this word would go out effectively. And so this is my prayer over you, church, as we end this book. It's worth re- reading again. Even everyone close their eyes right now as this prayer gets prayed over you. Like, this, uh, this is for you. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Look, I feel like At the end of Hebrews, I have very little need to interpret that prayer for you, to tell you what it means. I love telling you what God's word means, but this is a portion where I just don't want to like, I just want to leave it in its hole. Because look, you know the God of peace, the heavenly father who sent Jesus for us. You know that God brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus. You know that Jesus is raised from the dead, don't you? You know that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, that he is the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls, that he has been the one who has been leading us and guiding us all along the way. And you know that Jesus is not just the shepherd, but that he's the lamb of God, who is slain, and that by his blood he takes away the sins of the world. You know that because of his blood, he has brought us into the eternal covenant. That we have received the new covenant that is far better in every way than the old covenant. You know that we stand in grace, and we do not live according to the law. You know God's word, which has been spoken to you every Sunday, that has been intended to equip you with everything good. You know that God wants you to do his will. And you know that God's word equips you to do his will. And you know that you're not just supposed to be a hearer of the word only, deceiving yourself, but that you would also be a doer of the word. You know that God has been working into you that which is pleasing in his sight. Because you know that we can only be pleasing in the sight of God through Jesus Christ. Someone said this morning in our prayer circle as we prayed over the service this morning, she said, um, 
I'm a recovering perfectionist. I love that. See, we've been hearing the gospel. That we're not perfect, but Jesus is. You know that we'll never outgrow our need for hearing the message of Jesus. It's the only message that saves and sanctifies. So to him, Jesus, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the final greeting in verse 22 to 25, let's read as we end the book of Hebrews this morning. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. And I like how he says, I've written you briefly, and it only took us a half a year to digest this letter. <laughs> um, my encouragement to you is, the book of Hebrews, if you really think about it, it is brief, but it's deep. And as we've gone through it now, I'd encourage you to try reading through it straight in one sitting. I think it'll take you maybe about 25 minutes, maybe at the most. And read straight through it in one sitting and see how the writer intended for you to receive it, that it was to be received almost like a whole sermon. And I think I even mentioned at one of our gatherings that we would take a Sunday maybe just to read through the whole book of Hebrews without making any comments on it. Uh, but my friend Corey's coming next Sunday. Otherwise, I would have done that next Sunday. <laughs> kind of got the scheduling off there. But I also like what it says, bear with my words of exhortation. And this is like where I think the writer of Hebrews is saying like, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> bear with my words of exhortation. Because the writer of Hebrews has brought some heat in some of these parts of the letter, hasn't he? Like the warning passages. And, and you've been recipients of those strong exhortations. You know that I've preached with some fire from these letters, right? And, and this is a church that can bear with exhortations. Somebody even shared this morning, the warning passages were fun. I just wanted to put those words together. But... That's awesome that you think warning passages are fun, because, but what he said is that he has strayed from the church, and now that he's back and reconnected to Jesus, he knows that he's going to cling so closely to Jesus and follow him. And then the writer mentions our brother Timothy being released, and that probably means that he was in prison, and that the writer will be traveling with Timothy if he ends up going and visiting the Hebrews. And that might clue you into the identity of the writer. I know a bunch of you guys have been asking me, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Um, and if it's been killing you that I call the writer of Hebrews the writer instead of Paul, um, I hope you can appreciate that I want to be a teacher that rightly handles the word of God. And the Bible doesn't explicitly identify who the writer is. But this is what we do know, is that the Holy Spirit wrote this letter. And that it's been for us. And we realize what the book of Hebrews has been all about, that it's been all about Jesus. And so 
the writer finally says to greet all the leaders and all the saints. It's another way of saying just say hi to people. Say hi to people for me. It's amazing how greeting one another in church is actually a really big part of church. That we get this time every single week to come together and to greet one another and say hello to one another, to get to know one another. And, and I, know, I know what you guys have been doing because I've been watching it. You've been blowing past those name tags. I see it. I see you. All those wonderful welcome team greeters are out there with their pens ready to give you a name tag, and you just... And you come in, and you get your message, and you get your worship, and you walk up, right? No, I'm just messing with you. Kind of. Sorry, not sorry. So We want to be a church that is welcoming and greeting one another in the love and the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we have reasons for why we do things the way we do things here, but the writer sends greetings from those who come from Italy, and that would be the leaders who are in Rome. And so finally, we come to the last verse of the book of Hebrews, words that beautifully sum up what this book has taught us all the way through. And he says in verse 25, grace be with all of you. And I pray that your hearts have been strengthened by grace going through the book of Hebrews. And finishing it makes me really excited because what we get to now do is we get to live it. We get to see the fruit of it working out in our lives. And so as we end things, I'm gonna say, say what I said in one of the messages that I gave a while back in Hebrews. Onward and upward. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. This word to us that has been living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Your word has laid us open. And Jesus, you see us and you know us completely. Jesus, I ask that we would respond to the way that you have seen us and that we would see you by faith and that we would love you and that we would serve you and we live our lives in a way that we would have everything good provided so that we can do your will. And so, Lord, I pray for your grace to abound towards this church. I pray that that benediction that was read over us and prayed over us would be true. I pray that we would be a praying church that does not cease to follow Jesus, that does not pull back, but presses on all the more as we wait to see you when we die or to see you when you come, whichever happens first. And so I love you, Jesus. I love this church. And I ask that you continue to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Whew. Hebrews. That was awesome. Well, church, let's all stand up together and we'll close in a final song of worship, praising Jesus.